He's the man in the back of the room. Y con la voz de Dios. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, CEOs where to go, and stars when to shine. But as he likes to point out, Who cares? I care. It's true, she cares. And so does he. He's entertainment and production agency owner and meeting and event master, Anthony Bellotta. She's his Agent 99, and you're about to be Bellottified. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Bellottified, the one and only pod about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bellotta. I'm here every week as I am with the delicious, always optimistic, Alexia Cristina Postolinis. Opa, Alex. Opa. How are you? What are you, are you? doing today? Uh, this. Great. And other work. Great. And exactly we love to hear. <laughs> yeah. Started my morning in airport traffic at the crack of dumb, taking somebody to the airport. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really awful. What time this morning? It wasn't too bad. I think we left about 7 30, but it took me almost two hours round trip. And I really only live about 20, 25 minutes from the airport. Wow. Well, that kind of reminds me of what happened to us on our way back from Florida after after our Christmas break, going to the Miami airport from the Fort Lauderdale hotel that we were staying in and uh, getting oh, about halfway to the airport, stopping for gas and realizing that we left two pieces of luggage <gasps> at the hotel. Oh, no. Alex... All I can say is it's a good thing Joyce Bellotta was not in the car with us because I have never driven as much like a mad dog as I did that day. I, oh my God. I, I'm guilty of cutting people off. I'm guilty of making a left from the middle lane. I'm guilty of all of that because the stress that we both felt instantly when we realized, oh. <laughs> oh, we have to go back to Fort Lauderdale and then drive all the way to Miami and our flights in, oh, what, 90 minutes now? We have to do this fast. <laughs> Were you able to get through security? Or you have like, you have TSA pre-check and all that, right? No, I don't no? actually. People oh. always are surprised that I don't have it and I, I probably should have it. We have clear and unfortunately, clear is becoming less and less uh, useful. Clear? Oh. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, it's not in every airport. You can't use it in every airport. And now in some airports, even if they have clear, they have a separate TSA line. Uh, and so if you don't have TSA, but you have clear, you don't really go any faster. You you get into the security line faster. That's about it. But uh, no, and and Miami Airport for those of you who don't know it is oh good. It's probably five times bigger than Fort Lauderdale Airport. It's a massive, massive airport, and uh, you know just getting through it takes time. So oh yeah, we were really 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 stressed out that day. It it wasn't a happy coming home. No, not, I'm not so sorry. Okay, well, then, you know, two hours driving in a nice, comfortable car was nothing. 
No, not at all. And and there was traffic, obviously. That's what took you so long. But uh... going, coming back, it was a breeze. Uh, coming back, I got home in time. But yeah, going, uh, it started to be a 35 minute commute and it ended up being over an hour commute to get there. Wow. Well, you know, there are more people in the world and there are more cars in the world. And yes. And our airport is torn up. And our airport is really torn up. So, yeah. And as I was going to Terminal One, even though I've been there since they put up that little wall, I just missed it. So I had to go past, turn around, come back, turn around. Uh, so, you know. That is really not your fault. I, Thank you I have for to say, that. No, it isn't. Absolutely. <laughs> I've done the same thing. And that is because they've moved the entrance further east, mm-hmm. much further east. Than the signage is not good. And the signage is awful. It's a tiny little sign right at the exit. Yeah. So if you miss it, you have to, it's a couple of miles that you have to, you know, do a UE. So, yeah. And that adds stress too. Yes. And, and, and apparently the- I was in the high, I was on my way. There was somebody who must've forgotten their luggage because he cut me off. Oh, he must've forgotten his luggage at the, at when he went to get gas. <laughs> he must've done that. <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh my goodness. It's oh all good. My I will goodness. end my day with a walk on the beach later to take all that away. We'll good we'll wash you. all that away at Coronado. Good, 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 good for you. Okay, before we get started, if you're a new listener, please take this time to like and subscribe. Go ahead. We'll give you a sec. Why thank you. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Yes. Uh, I have a tipsy for today, and it has nothing to do with leaving your bags at the hotel. But you shouldn't ever do that, by the way, and always double check before you leave. Let's get tipsy! Today's tipsy is actually sound advice. And what I'm talking about is, in fact, sound. Of the major production elements used in meetings and events, sound, or audio, as in audiovisual, one word, by the way, is typically the most necessary and always the most noticeable by an audience. It's also the most annoying when it's done wrong. And above poor visuals or dim lighting, poor sound will most quickly result in disengagement and perhaps even mass exodus. Among the off-putting effects of audio done wrong are signal interference and feedback, which can happen for a handful of reasons and should always be remedied quickly. The most off-putting, however, is that of inadequate coverage, simply not providing an evenly intelligible audio experience for everyone in the room. That's right. And don't think it doesn't happen, even in what should be the best of events. So planners, there are a few things you can do to avoid this annoying phenomenon yourselves. One, ask your production partner to include speaker cabinet placement in their renders and CADs. If any areas of your audience are seated outside of coverage, i.e. where speakers are facing, They may have issues understanding what is being said. That's intelligibility, hearing it, but not really being able to make it out. 
Ensure your production partner has a plan for coverage. Two, check in on progress during pre-show setup to test audio coverage. Negotiate a time with your production partner that enables you to make any on-site adjustments necessary, such as adding or repositioning cabinets. If you are managing more than one room, start with the largest and work your way down. Include your breakout rooms. When you do your check, walk along all of the seats and tables from room right to room left and from closest to the downstage to the back of house. In other words, work around where everyone will be seated so you can ensure that everyone in the room will hear at the same perfect level. Then three, during the event, walk through the house in a similar fashion to ensure the sound is still ample. And again, by ample, I mean it is robust enough to hear and understand what is being said. As the addition of people changes the sonic experience. When handling a multi-day event or meeting, ensure in advance that your production partner has the means to make any necessary mid-course corrections, such as a policy of carrying additional equipment or the ability to find equipment locally. And that is Matipsy. Okay. I love this one because poor sound bugs me so much when I can't hear the people on stage or when everything is too loud. It's one of the biggest annoyances to me, Mm -hmm. but you're also making me giggle. Why? Well, it reminds me, you know, I started doing theater when I was very, very young and my Yaya would come and she would to see my shows. Right. But she always insisted on sitting in the back room or the back row, excuse me, on the aisle closest to the exit. (laughs) And no, it wasn't in case I sucked. And she would say, you never know when those Somerbichi Turkeys will come. So she wanted (laughs) an escape route. You know, forget about her, her granddaughter on stage as long as she could get out quickly. But, you know, she would get really, really mad if she couldn't hear the dialogue or music. And not being a native English speaker, it's even more important that you can hear things clearly, right? Because you and I, if we miss a word, while it's not optimal, we can infer what's being said because we know the language. But if you're not a native speaker, it's really important that everything is clear. But, you know, little four foot nine Yaya would have no qualms about going up to the director or whoever she thought was in charge. And she would get very mad and she'd say, Oh, she's pissed. She's pissed. She's pissed. What she's saying is very much what you said. A little trans, the literal translation is a little off, but the last person is as important as the first person, Uh right? The back row is as important as the front row. The cheap seats deserve the same show as those that spent $2,000 to be in the front row at the Beyonce concert. So, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody deserves the same experience. Everybody deserves the same experience. And that also includes the presenter, whoever is on stage presenting. Uh, You know, when you spend a load of time preparing 
for a presentation or uh, an entertainment segment, whatever it might be, and it's it doesn't reach the entire audience, then that person too is not really getting what they bargained for, right? So nobody in the room is happy. And, you know, I say this happens in the best of events because I've experienced it at events when this should absolutely not be the case. Events that are city-sponsored, that have uh, city politicians in attendance, that have, uh, you know, high-level meeting and event people in attendance. I've, I've experienced this, and it just blows my mind that with all of those professionals in the room and on the job, that nobody caught it. Mm. And I don't take budget as a reason because you know budgets are budgets and 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 things can be expensive mm-hmm. but sound is not something you should lose because of a budget no. item or because it's you don't ha- you know because you can't afford it if you can't afford it don't do the event because right at the end of the day you just half ass did it and nobody is really happy and i sat in the middle of this room center at the back and could make out nothing our mayor was saying, by the way. And, uh, you know, was just beside myself, just annoyed to no end that I was sitting there feeling like I was wasting my time. So that's basically how it works. If you can't hear it, you get up and you go, you lose your engagement, you lose your interest and you go, you know, you've also just wasted a whole lot of money. When you say you don't have the budget for good sound, but you've now wasted, you've thrown that money away because nobody, there was no point to what you did because nobody got anything out of it. Right. Or half the room didn't. Right. So what's the and point? Exactly. And of all of the issues that we face with audio, again, this is the one that I feel is the worst because it can be fixed with just a little bit of uh, attention and time. And I know that sometimes we're also time strapped, but never so much that we can't take this step ever. Well, again, to your point, it can be course corrected during the event. It's not something that once it starts, you're stuck. It can, there can be a course correction as the event is happening. And there should be. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, that's my beef today. It's a good day for stew. It's a good day for stewing as yes. well. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're just full of the puns today. I like oh. it. Oh, good, 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 good. Well, shall we get on with it and meet our fabulous guest today? Yes. Somebody who's new to both of us? Yes, yes. But I loved learning about her. She just seems so delightful. So, well, yes. first of all, her name. Fabulous name. And I've got to ask her about her name because, you know, it's not a common name. So uh, why don't I just hand it off to you and you can tell everybody who she is. Okie dokie. So our guest today has worked in event production for over 25 years. She's known for her ability to take on anything. Her belief is if you can think it, she and her team can make it happen. I love it. From corporate, private, and social events to festivals and multi-day programs, to public space strategist. She has and continues to do it all. In 2021, she was named in BizBash's top 
500 event professionals in the U.S. And in 2023, she was featured in BizBash's Top 15 Over 50. Please welcome President, Executive Producer, and Designer of Bob Productions, Inc., Brooksy Hughes. Hey, Brooksy, what's up? Hi, good to see you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Really enjoyed your opener, and I got to say, sound, sound, sound. My uncle's a sound engineer, so that has been, <laughs> I have grown up knowing, like, that is the key. That is the key. Thank really, you really for agreeing with us. Right off the bat, we love you for agreeing. <laughs> have you ever been in a position where, uh, you know, the sound has not been up to snuff? and? Oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, both as a guest, I, I, I mean, this is really embarrassing, but for the Black Crows, but I was at a Black Crows concert at the Beacon Theater in New York, you know, a lifetime ago, and it still sticks out. We walked out because oh. the sound quality was so bad. We could not, all the songs sounded the same. It was just like listening to white noise. Right. Um, and you would think on a, so as your point earlier, it's not budget, it's not this or that. I mean, that's a room full of pros. That's a touring show. Right. Um, and then I've had it happen to me, you know, the the feedback, because a lot of times you cannot, you know, your presenters don't present for a living all the time. So where they stand on the stage and not having designed mm -hmm. your event to accommodate a wandering presenter who's going to be in the wrong place for feedback, uh, you know, like you said earlier, Alex, you know, you have to course correct that. So, yep, been there. You just... Stay positive and, and change it the best you can on site if it happens. That's the best advice yes. I've heard all day. All day. <laughs> so, so before before we move on with the rest of the interview, do you mind if we uh, do a little segment we call 10 Quick Questions? Go ahead. 10 Quick Questions. 10 Quick Questions? Yay! Great. Questions designed to uh, get to the first thing on your mind, no overthinking these questions, just the first thing that comes up. Alex has a clock, two minutes on it, 10 questions, should be fun, ready to go? Okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, here we go, question number one. What is the first thing you do after waking up in the morning? Pet my dogs. Hmm. What, beverage, what beverage do you keep in your hydro flask? I don't have a hydro flask. Oh. So you don't keep a beverage with you all day long? I do not, but if I did, it would be water. Okay. The safe the safe bet, water. The the, the healthy the healthy safe bet. Needed. Yes. I was hoping for something more Shirley Jones esque like vodka. Uh, okay, it would be champagne <laughs> if it was alcoholic. It would my go to, but water. <laughs> Sorry, kinda of boring on that part. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. I'm as boring as you. Uh, what color do you wear when you want to feel powerful? Oh, goodness. Um, black. 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 You're in black today. I am. It's You're feeling powerful? I'm in my uniform, jeans and black turtleneck for that's, 30 that's, years. <laughs> that's it. That's the uniform. Uh, you know, Peach Fuzz is Pantone's 2024 color of the year. What comes <laughs> to it? mind? It is. What comes to mind when I say peach fuzz? Uh, uh, Georgia peach, where I'm from. Oh, perfect. Oh. Yeah. I didn't realize how spot on that question was for you. That's <laughs> right, you're from Atlanta. Yeah. What's one thing you can't help but splurge on? 
Oh, uh, there's. If only there was the one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I liked you. <laughs> uh, handbag, shoes, and massages. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. In that order. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Number six. Charisma, uniqueness, nerve, <clears throat> or talent. Which of these has served you most in your career? Charisma, uniqueness, nerve, or talent? Mm. I'm going to say uniqueness. Mm. That's it, tough. It sounds like a toss-up. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, you know, it's been 30 years, so I've taken a lot of risk. I'm good with people. I've learned a lot of talent, uh, but... I'm very different from my colleagues. Mm. I've had a very different path, so that has mm. served me very interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> What's the hardest part of being an entrepreneur? What's the hardest part about being an entrepreneur? Oh, gosh. You know, I've answered this uh, with a lot of interns. It's, it is that never-ending feeling that after you, when the phone doesn't ring, you're just certain you'll never work again. And it doesn't matter if you've been in the business for 30 years or 30 minutes. There seems to be that, you know, when you have that drive and you're going, that the hardest part is is owning that that, that next gig is coming, no matter what. That's what no I have. No matter what. Every year is a new year. Right. With a new you're beginning. You're only as good as your last gig, right? That's right. That is so right. Uh, what's one thing you always have with you when you're on site? Well, these days it's a phone. Back in the day, it used to be cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, the, the emergency kit, my, my production coordinator used to say she was going to make a belt, a producer's belt. And it had a break the glass emergency cigarette. It had a shot of vodka. It had the production schedule that's been lost four or five times. It had a place for the backup phone for when I lost my first phone and a banana. That used to be potassium. God forbid you should have a cramp. <laughs> yeah, I, I always have my you know computer and and the, the basics that you're that you're gonna have on site. But but these days, unfortunately, it, it's that smartphone is always in the pocket on site. Mm, yeah, and you, my yes. number one right hand Renee when possible. Never leave town without Renee. Aww. That sounds like a song waiting to happen. <laughs> it does. Renee's lucky. Uh, she's, she's my producer lucky. back in New York. I can't do it without her. Uh, if you could, and you wouldn't want to. Yeah. And you shouldn't have to. That's all I have to say. You just shouldn't have to. Uh, if you could spend the rest of your life being a groupie, which musical artist or band would you be most interested in following? Oh, you know, I got into this industry because being a groupie didn't pay, and I figured I wanted to get paid to hang out. Um, I would probably ACDC. Wow. I know, surprise, right? Hardcore. <laughs> if I was really going to go there, it would be, there's not just the one, but it would be ACDC or REM. I already was a group, so. Mm -hmm. So and you've then, been a groupie of REM, it sounds like you're about oh, to yeah, say. Oh, yeah, I used to see him play for a dollar at the 40-watt in Athens back in the day, back in the 80s. <laughs> for a dollar. A dollar. Wow, time You can't even buy, you got to pay a dollar to go to the bathroom now. You, I mean, you, you, exactly. Yes. You can't buy, right? Yes. <laughs> 
All right, last question. You're walking towards the stage to receive your Lifetime Achievement Award. What song is the band playing? Thunderstruck by ACDC. There you go. <laughs> Good choice. I love that that just rolled without even having to think it. Now, I'm not saying I don't like ACDC, but I'm telling you, I couldn't, I couldn't give you a name of any song. I say that because it's the song I love to drive to most when I'm coming up from Baja and there's a certain thing. And so I just was just listening to it like five times in a row the other day. Okay. And I just thunderstruck. Yeah. If you've never heard it, I love it. Oh yeah. I've heard it. It'd yeah. Be, I'd go, that's a really cool song. I wonder what it's called. <laughs> yeah, would that me. would be it. I think, you know, like, <laughs> wow. Like I've just been struck by lightning. Oh my goodness. I think that's a good song for driving across the border. And, and and the fact that you only heard it five times says that the wait wasn't as long as it usually is. Oh, no, I play it. So I have, I, I, um, if I didn't do what I'm doing now, I would have loved to have been uh, the creating sound beds for movies because I choreographed the music to the visuals, to the experience. And I love doing that. So I would have gone into sound engineering and recording if I hadn't have done live show production. And so there's certain places on the drive into Ensenada and there's the last place that's the coastal road and it just drops in and the way that it moves and, and hugs the coast, that song is the perfect, is just perfect because the way the guitar comes in and the vocals come in and how that chorus hits, it hits at the right inclines and drop off. So anyway, I could go on too long about all that, but uh, I have different songs that I play for different parts just because it's like the choreography of it. Like everything's an experience, even driving home. Okay, so the next time I take a car trip, I'm going to reach out to you and say, this is my course. Okay. What do you recommend? <laughs> if you're going through the desert, you know, you got like Beck is really good through that and Radiohead's good for the desert. So, uh, you know, you really kind of think about the environment. And I just love, I have my iPod sitting here that everybody laughs at me about because they quit yes. making them a decade ago. But I need it. And it's got like almost 20,000 songs on it. And I just scroll through and that's my, that's my, uh, how I spend my downtime. <laughs> you know, nobody should ever say a nasty thing about an iPod, yes, even though they I don't agree. make them anymore, because you're right. They're the most convenient <laughs> pieces of equipment. And it's great that it doesn't have a phone attached because then you can hand it off to a sound man and say, okay, use this list for the show. <laughs> Without well, losing your you phone. And you can't always be where you can stream. Wi-Fi doesn't always work. The internet's right. not always there. So the fact that we've gone to a streaming only, uh, I won't do a negative shout out to Apple, but boo on them for getting rid of iTunes. There's no way to really manage all this stuff anymore. And they want you to stream. Now, I'm a fan of that. But, you know, if I'm doing a festival out in the middle of, let's say I'm in the Sierra Juarez mountains here in Mexico, there is no service cellular or otherwise. Right. I want to do some really super cool remote type of experience. I don't have any way to, I, I have to have the stuff. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. And it also helps you to curate your own lists. Yes. Uh, if you're like us, we, we don't like to rely on the streaming service for things like walk in and walk out music or dinner music or lunch music, because you don't know what's coming necessarily. And, you know, our, our uh, mantra is that the, the, the experience, the, the energy of the event should be upheld. 
And whatever that is, it should be upheld. And, and if a song sort of sneaks in that doesn't fit, it, we feel the energy just tumble. <laughs> yeah. I try walking in and asking someone, can I burn a CD? And it's that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what does that mean? Is that new? <laughs> it's amazing how fast technology developed in our because we're all relatively close in age, technology in our lifetime has come in and come out. It's a little embarrassing at times. I went into something in, you know, a class and we were going to record and I brought up my tape recorder and was queuing up the, the little <laughs> tape. And he looked at me, he's like, where's your flash drive? I went, <laughs> I left it at home. I'll have it next time. <laughs> What? When I was here a year ago, we did everything via tape recorder. So, And, you know, I have an iTunes account with, oh, probably 5,000 songs that I've purchased mm -hmm. over the course of my career, some of which I no longer have access to because I've upgraded my, my uh, laptop so many times that the song won't play anymore for me. I have to rebuy it. And I find that annoying. How many times do I have to buy a song that I bought already? And, you know, I, I do feel like at any point that entire library that I've built could vanish. And what do I do? You know, I don't have those songs anymore. Well, I, I'll help I, you with that offline. We'll talk about that another day. Okay. Ooh, yeah. I'm inside track. I have everything. I've got multiple hard drives i trust no one i have got like four or five backup drives all my music's ripped out of the programs isolated by itself um of course i don't have anything to play it on <laughs> that's the problem right? but, but i have it, it. <laughs> somebody will have something to play it on you can bet on that my brother's a developer he's helping me track down you know torrents and other things out there to work around so how did the uh the uh, digitization, the digitization, tough word to say, of our industry affect you? How's it helped you? How's it hindered you in any way? Um, I have not had, I guess, that much. It, it hasn't really affected me greatly. Um, my my work has predominantly been either in the public realm or private events that are held somewhat public realm. And by that, you know, I'm your standard staging, lighting, sound, working with a lot of musicians, work with a lot of artists, choreographers, costume designers, you know, a lot of the theatrical elements. Um, and that, that stuff doesn't get digitized, right? That's, it's still physical and tangible. Mm -hmm. And my work in the conference and meeting world has been very minimal. And usually when I have worked in that world, which has seen more of the digi digitizing effects, mm -hmm. the reason why I'm brought in is to counteract that with something else or to, to create the, you know, how do we present this as if we were at Burning Man kind of thing. So it doesn't look like there's any digital. Um, so I haven't had that, you know, and I don't do virtual 
meetings and conferences and things along those lines. So it's, it's enhanced it because I'm able to get more creative. So like with the music bed, so all this, you know, yes, it's kind of a problem the way that things are, but to, to be able to create something as a producer and play with it myself with the digital tools that are available before I go to my sound engineer or before I go to the mixer, it has helped me translate to them a vision that before was just me jumping around making noises trying to get them to understand but now i can actually create samples mm. that better communicate the vision of my client or the tone that i'm getting if that makes sense yes it does yeah. indeed you've been doing this for actually more than 30 years we said in your intro 25 but it's been a little bit longer than that working in a variety of roles uh including planner would you share one or two highlights with us career highlights um you know the, the very beginning um how this all started is really still one of the highlights because i was working as a craft service person in commercials right taking any gig peddling m&ms at the table uh <laughs> and i started doing some uh production assistant work and i i got a call to go interview with this guy to be a production assistant on the Paralympic opening closing games in Atlanta in 96. And I was kind of about to give up at that point because of the gigging that I was doing was not very interesting. I was working on some, some restaurant stuff and I thought, well, maybe I'll go that route. And long story short, I got the job turned out the guy interviewing me was one of my uncle's oldest and dearest friends of 30 years. And they're all sound people, band people, tour managers. And he was just like, it's in your blood. You're cheap. You've got the job. And within a week, um, maybe two weeks, they need an assistant line producer. And I got pushed straight to that right off the bat. And that's really the career highlight because I kept trying to figure out what character in the story am I? I love mm. events. I love, I love music, you know, and I'm not, wasn't kidding. Like I wanted to be around bands and, and musicians and mostly interested in the staging and, and what took the production, but I didn't know what that meant. And I often tell people, you know, figure out which character in that story you are mm -hmm. and understand what your day is going to be like. Because you might think being an event producer is great fun. And then you find out, oh, so stressful. It's mm -hmm. not creative at all. Not like what I thought. You know, I'm better mm -hmm. off in the floral department. So that would be my biggest career highlight. And so my very first artist that I worked with at one time on one stage for one show that I ended up very responsible for was Liza Minnelli, Carly Simon. <gasps> And Aretha Franklin, Paul oh. Oates, <laughs> Bo Diddley, and Christopher Reeves. Um, but those three women were my first show at 27. And they schooled me very well. I learned everything about how to handle myself, how to deal with managers like theirs, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that would be... Mm. At like, where do you go from there, right? Well, that's exactly right. And most wow. most people would kill for a yeah. uh, an experience like that right off the bat with the Paralympics. I mean, that was really a score. That was a score, and it was about also having clarity. You know, I was I was running around like a like a fool at University of Georgia um, on the what do you call the stadium. So there's a doing visa commercials. So they had us running around with big sticks out in the field to get an audience of people to all look the same way. It was visa commercials. They were shooting for the Olympics. So while the audience is sitting there, they need one single focal point for all these extras. 
to watch while they filmed. So they had us running back and forth and back and forth in the humidity and heat. And I got home and I thought, I think I want to be a producer. I really don't want to run around stadiums anymore. Mm. And 48 hours later, I got the call. So it's also a lot about, you know, clarity. Mm. Once you know, you know. Tell us what a line producer does, if you will. It's not um, it's not a position that we're very well aware of in our industry. So in more of your concert and festival industry, a line producer is the one that is typically in charge of the stage. And by that, that means they handle the artists, the writers, the the staging, the sound checks, the offsite checks, the rehearsals, uh, the lighting, like they all things stage is what they fulfill. Um, they might and also do some front of house in terms of like, say with a concert, but for the most part, they're building in, they're loading that in, they're teching it, they're sound check, that, that's their that's their world. So that was for me working with Steve Barnes, who was the line producer, and then getting sort of looped up into his world um, was assisting in making sure all those things happened. And the green rooms are done and everybody's fed. I mean, it's just everything that touches mm -hmm. that artist, writer, mm -hmm. and stage. So and in some cases, the stage manager in our in in our world would handle some of that. Uh, but the line producer is pretty much the same thing. Well, the stage manager. Well, the, no, the, the difference is, well, I guess I've also seen different uh, descriptions of stage management's roles. So there's the production True. stage manager who would call the show and they take it over. They come in maybe a week to 10 days out, grab the script, the cue to cue, and they run that. The line producer would have been on this for six months. Right. They negotiated everything before it got to the point that for me, I hand off to a PSM. And then okay. the PSM takes what I've already put together with the client in terms of show flow, cue to cues, assets, are there videos, are there, you know, what are all the moving parts in the video village area that need to fly in and fly out and all that gets put together. And then the PSM takes that and then builds it and they, they run it on site and rehearse it in. Does that make sense? So I don't it know. It does, but PSM mm -hmm. is also a position that, that is unfamiliar to many of us in this industry. We would call that a show caller uh, in the theater the stage manager actually calls the cues, but in our world, it's a show caller or a show director. What is a PSM? What does that mean? What is that acronym? And I got to say, I love that we're having this conversation because this is so many, so many things, whether you come from meetings and conferences or you come from social or you come from concerts and festivals or you come from uh, sporting world many of the jobs are the same, but the titles don't cross over. So a right. production stage manager would be the same as a stage manager. It's just that in some of these, the stage managers may be on deck. And so they would be the deck manager. Right. And then there might be another assistant stage managers. And then the production stage manager is kind of like one up over that. So they're the show caller, but they're running the stage management team. Mm -hmm. So depending upon the size of the event and the nature of it, like an award show, for instance, um, would have the stage manager and the deck manager. So your show caller and you're on deck um, and what we do. And then there'd be, you know, some assistants off to the side. So, yes. 
So it, it varies, you know, production manager might be the same as a line producer. So production manager on a very large social event or corporate meeting would translate to line producer in festivals and events. Mm. Or, or, And we call those assistants ASMs backstage, assistant stage yeah. managers, right? Yeah, we, we use the ASMs too. Yeah, the vernacular changes. And, uh, you know, years ago, a... Uh, a uh, dictionary was put out for the event world and has been updated since, but could probably still use another updating uh, as the world gets smaller and smaller and we work with each other more and more because the phrasing is, uh, you know, the vernacular changes from coast to coast, city to city, country to country. And uh, it's important that we're all speaking the same language. Well, and for someone like me, you asked about, you know, earlier, what served me best. The thing that has been unique is, you know, I've started out concerts, music, had the Paralympics, moved to New York um, and just did a million different things because I worked with some amazing creative directors uh, that were uh, this woman, Karen Bacon, just pioneered so much stuff for so long and it was a procession or it was a grand opening in the Virgin Islands of a new marina or it was a holiday festival. It was so many different types of things. And then somebody else would be like, hey, can you give us a dinner in the sky for 50? And so now I'm thinking about that. And then it's U.S. Open and that's a whole different way of thinking and a different conversation. So over the you know 30 years, that's part of where people say, how, you know, how could you have done all this? I said, well, it's because I was available to do so many different things, a parade, whole different way of thinking about running a parade through, you know, a, a small town. And what does that staff look like? And what do you call them? So stage managers become parade marshals. And so, you know, it, it all interchanges. And right now I'm doing Arctic winter games, opening closing <laughs> ceremony in Alaska, which is a small um, Nordic uh games is 2000 youth uh participants and a lot of cultural stuff around it but a lot of the titles that they use around the host society and everything very different the jobs are the same but how they refer to themselves is completely different than what i've seen in other you know world games olympics you know the other way that they refer to to their organization so it's mm. all different we noticed that you were doing the Arctic Games in yes. March, and uh, we were um, curious as to how you, being a Atlanta native, working in New York, moving your business to San Diego, having a home in Mexico, happened to get a job <laughs> in Alaska. Uh, it's who you know. Um, it's who you know. It's who you know. And when you've been around, you start to know a lot of people. If you another reason to keep good relations. Um, Carrie Quaid is a person who I met back in the early 2000s. She's a floral event designer, uh, production manager, producer in her own right. Um, she's worked on my team for 20 years. And she moved to Alaska to be a part of the Iditarod and was sort of branching <laughs> out. And she got involved with the Arctic Winter Games there. And so there you go. So she asked if Bob Productions would come on to help support her and her role more in a consulting, like very heavy consulting role, because we can sort of fill the 
be her voice for marketing. You know, I mean, when you run your own company, you kind of do it all, right? So I'm not mm -hmm. an expert at those things, but I know how to navigate them. Um, and so, yeah, that's how it happened. Wow. Which is, uh, which says a lot about how you manage a team mm -hmm. and the people who work for you and how they feel about you. If 20 years down the line, they're calling you for help. Yes. Uh, well. It says a lot about who you are <laughs> and, and how easy or good you are to work with. So you're doing the Arctic games and sort of my offhanded question to you is, do you know what a knuckle hop actually is? And have you ever done one? No, I have no idea. So you're going to have to learn about the knuckle yes. hop because when we heard about the Arctic games, naturally yeah. we looked them up and the knuckle hop is one of those, um, those uh, uh, games that is really interesting to watch, probably even more interesting to watch than it is to do. They're actually moving across the floor on their knuckles and toes, uh, sort of in a planking position, but moving yep. across the floor. And uh, it's a very interesting game to watch. Looks painful and to me. It looks extremely <laughs> painful. But one of the games in the Arctic Games, and these are, and, and one of the, 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 the games are interesting. Yes. All of them are as interesting as that. Very fun. So it's I think, a, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, it's a unique lineup because when we first looked at it, I was like, badminton? Right. You know? Isn't it going to be four degrees? Um, if that. If that. Yeah, I can't tell you. I live in New Mexico now. That's tropical four degrees. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little concerned about my outerwear choices. Yes. Um, Have you been around, there before? Yes, we went in May for the first site visit. And um, it was where it was only dark for three hours. And that was challenging. I came back after a week and was like jet lag just because I hadn't slept because the sun never, I mean, it set, but then it was coming up again three hours later. Right. And then right. we went in October. It was pretty normal then. So March will be there for a little over two weeks for games. So and it should be fairly normal. Then we, we move clocks in March and uh, it shouldn't feel as bad as it probably does right now. As a matter of fact, with very little daylight. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting place. So that I'm excited about. And then of course we have world design capital, San Diego, Tijuana, 2024, the designation that was won from the world design capital. So the city of San Diego is getting really uh, pumped and ramped for this year of designation. So I'm working on a handful of endorsed programs, excuse me, for that initiative that'll roll out this year. So kind of interesting, you know, going back to like, What's on my plate? You know, a food and wine festival, an Arctic winter games, a bio, you know, lab grown meat conference. And it's just all different. You know, it's all different. So you learn to do the job and you know how to make things happen. The fact that you don't know anything about the content is irrelevant in the beginning. And then you immerse yourself in that world. And that's part of why I have like, you know, my friends laugh. They're like, you have just like so much useless information, like <laughs> random stuff, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's because I did a this, you know, at this event. And this was the topic. And this is what we worked on. And that was my life for six months. And so right. now you need to go on Jeopardy. Now I know about that. <laughs> right. 
So uh, you've worked with Cir uh, Secret Service and tour managers. Curious to know what, if any, hoops you've had to go through in working with anyone in particular. Anything stand out? Um, well, yes. Um, although I will say I have some NDAs around some of it, so I can't share some of it uh, in terms of the Secret Service because I have worked with political figures. But I will say uh, the challenges around that can be if you're working with a, a, a former first lady or a sitting vice president, um, it can be very challenging because of the hoops, of the sweeps, of the things that have to happen. You can't, uh, depending upon what the event is, it's very hard to do a certain setup and then have to get everybody out and do a sweep. And then if you have to make changes, that has to get redone, things along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um Jumping through hoops, they're the most hoop jumping really doesn't come from that realm. Most of the hoop jumping has come from working with uh, artists, performers that are somewhere they're not supposed to be the day before the event. And you're trying to fly them in in the middle of a snowstorm and not sure. And you can't tell your client that their headliner is like landing an hour before show. So that's the kind of hoops that are more jumping through is dealing with sometimes you work with an artist who, you know, they just, they're not, they think they can just go and do whatever. And you've got to solve that problem to get them to that stage. That makes sense. It sure does. And mm -hmm. uh, I have never been in that position <laughs> and never, ever want to be in that position. Uh I just want to know my artist is there already and ready to go. I don't ever want to hear, oh, I'm not there, by the way. And uh, I don't quite know how I'm going to get there. Yeah. And that's, you know, but we, I don't know, I kind of thrive off some of that. I don't like it to happen. But when it happens, you just sort of go into this zone. You just, you're awake all night. You're on the phone. You know, we had, we did an event down in St. Croix and the local St. Croix band head guy who was actually a bigger draw than the beach boys who we were flying in. He was like really the sex appeal, this cool, really cool Island group, but he opted to go to New York to sit in on a session the day before. And then a snowstorm hit the East coast. So that's how, you know, we had to, we had to move him. So I just was like, you know, put him on Amtrak till you get to an airport, get to an airport and you just get him to Miami. And if I have to get a boat, I'll get a boat. You just, you just keep coming up with ideas for each next step. And you never stop the thought process because the one thing that our clients never hear from me is no, no. Mm. And if they do, they respect it because they know that I stayed awake day in and day out researching and that my little crazy brain looked in places that no one else would look. And if I can't find it or solve it, that it, it did not go without great effort. So they trust it. It's a very good point. Mm -hmm. The other point I'd like to just p piggyback on is that of the secret service. And you talked about sweeps and uh, just a note that uh, they are not all the same be be because you've worked with, one former president or one first lady doesn't mean that the next time you work with another first lady or former president, you're going to go through the same set of circumstances. It's, it changes based on what the need is and what they determine the need is. And I think the biggest point there is what they determine the need is. 
not you. And that's where the flexibility and the patience really has to come in. Right. And the, and where the venue is. So if you're, you know, somewhere in Midtown, New York, that's a very different conversation than a private home in East Hampton. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. That's a good point. So what about on-site surprises? Have you had to deal with any that come to mind and uh, were they delicious or terrible surprises and how do you deal with them when they happen? Um, the, the first thing that's coming to mind is, you know, and, and fairly recent few years ago, Hampton event where we had no ice an hour out from a summer party. And that doesn't sound like it's a big, big deal. And people think, Oh, there's no ice, but you're standing there and you're looking at your client that just dropped a lot of money to do this and there's no ice for the raw bar. There's no ice for the champagne. There's no mm -hmm. ice. There's no ice. There's no ice anywhere. It is July. It is summer. It is the Hamptons. It is a very, very elite crowd about to show up and they're going to want stuff. And solving that, those are the types of surprises I don't want to hear an hour out. Like if you knew it four hours ago, I literally will walk to the store and drag bags of ice over if I have to. Um, those types of surprises are... I don't handle well. I handle mm. certain ones, but to me, that's just a lack of communication. And someone was too afraid to to go to, you know, to come to me or to solve, have asked me help solve the problem. I'm part of the team, you know, mm. I'll let, we do this together. No one has to carry an ice truck that had a flat tire by themselves. Cause that's what happened. You know, it wasn't that they couldn't do anything about it. Um, surprises that were good. I've had a uh, guest, that were artists jump up and all of a sudden just do a solo that mm. was unexpected. Um, a singer. I have had artists that said that they absolutely would not work together. Four tops and temptations did not want to do recreate uh, a thing. They did at the Apollo 20 years ago when mm -hmm. they sang together, they were like, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden they got there and management came over and said, they've decided to do it. And so that was a big surprise in terms of, being able to show my clients something they really wanted that, uh, that I, I couldn't deliver and then was able to deliver it because they changed their mind. Right on site, they changed their mind. On site. And you know what did it? And this just goes back to why you should always take care of your people, not because mm -hmm. it's going to get you something, but you should just lead mm -hmm. from the heart. And, mm -hmm. and if I, most of why I do this for a living is because I love the people. I love the teams. I love laughing with them. I love crying with them. I love standing in the rain in the middle of the night when everybody else left going, we got to do this anyway with them. So that's, that's key. And when the artist showed up and they saw the level of care of what we had done to create their green room space and their meal mm -hmm. and, and their, their travel and how well they were going to be treated for the next eight hours on site, they were willing to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what their manager came over and said, yep, they'll do this for you because they see you guys are pros. You know mm -hmm. what you're doing. So I just, for your listeners, that's one thing. Uh, do it for yourself because you're that kind of person. But if you can't do it for yourself that way, at least know if you're going to be shitty to them, you're like, it comes You're going to get shit. You're going to yeah. get shit. Yep. Yeah. And I love the artist, you know, I manage up and down. I will bleed for my clients. Always told them that, you know, no problem. 
we love doing this. We're going to do that. But I'm also going to treat my crew and my team and the artists with the same level of respect and professionalism, because if they didn't exist, I would not have a job. I do not hang lights. Well, I do not sing. I do not cook at all. I do <laughs> none of the stuff they do. None of it. Right. And I think uh, you probably also feel that when everybody is feeling well taken care of, mm -hmm. they give you their all, they do their best, they invest themselves. You just, you just told us that, you know, you, you basically just told us that's what happens. And it's true. We, we find the same thing to be true mm -hmm. on the jobs that we do. And we... 1000% agree with you that you manage the top from the top, the top, the bottom, everyone, because at the end of the day, if everyone feels like this was a great event, everybody feels like a winner. Those who contributed, those who attended, those who hosted. And so that's the, the vibe that we like to create at Balada. And it sounds very similar to the vibe that you created, Pa. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, it has been a dream because my aunt asked me about 15 years ago, she's like, so what's the next plan? And I said, you know, I actually didn't plan this. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Sounds like so I don't really have a plan. Right. <laughs> COVID changed my life though. It destroyed my business temporarily in, and moving to another country as a, as a way out of not losing a home and property um, so there are a lot of decisions that went into that very quickly. I mean, it took me about a hot minute to be like, why not? Let's do this. You're talking about and, COVID? Yeah. yeah. So I have to plan now differently in terms of strategizing my business growth. I always had the luxury of word of mouth and being able to uh, stay busy, was never looking to build some big empire. Uh, I just love doing all this. Mm. Now, after a restart, after a couple of years of having business not there because of COVID, um, it's really changed the way I have to think about my business going into this sort of next phase. Mm -hmm. That so, I'm not. <laughs> would you say? I said, which that part I don't enjoy. It's that's new. I think you had on a question. You said, when's the last time you tried something new? And I'm in the middle of trying something new right now every day because I am I am thinking about how to build a business rather than how to get the next gig. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So why no virtual when that came around and became the go-to for events? I've clearly, you've got the skill. Mm -hmm. So I have to think it was a choice you made because it wasn't mm -hmm. making you feel fulfilled or happy. It was a choice. Um, initially in 2020, while everybody else was watching Netflix, I moved four households, two of them across the border. I was very busy. <laughs> was and this pre COVID or when COVID hit? When it hit, okay. I had, a, I had three very large events and clients in New York for 2020 and 2021 were booked out. They all by May was everything was gone. It just okay. vanished. Sure. Um, and I was still on the East, uh, on the West coast. So for me, and then people were moving. My mom moved. I moved. My friend moved. I moved twice. Um, there was just a lot of moving. And by 2021, I started doing some virtual, but I just, it, it's not what I'm about in this industry. And I had to think, 
okay, you need to do this to earn a living, but the core of who you are is bringing people together for an experience where they can see each other, laugh, touch each other, be together. And I just don't know if I can genuinely translate what I do into the virtual world in a way that will be believable because mm. I don't believe it for mm. me. If I did meetings and conferences and stuff like that, that would be different because that right. those businesses translated really well. But, you know, a parade, um, a wine right. festival, like, right. So people were doing these kitschy boxes and stuff. And I thought they were brilliant. I've got friends that did some really did cool them. stuff. Yes. But it just, them. for the lift and the effort, for me, I just did not think that I would own it well enough to be successful at that transition. Mm. Can I just say that I really am very impressed and I applaud you for staying true to yourself and not letting the fear of it not moving forward force you into doing something in a way you didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. That took a lot of courage for you to stay true to yourself and what you love. Well, thank you for that. And I will say the other side of that coin is not having done it. There's also the fear of, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> right. Well, so there I, is I, that, but it was really mostly, I sat down and I thought, I'm just, this isn't how I'm going to use my time. You know, for, for Having done them uh, out of need, I, I can understand because at the end of a virtual event, we were exhausted, yeah. but we didn't feel the same sense of fulfillment that we felt at the end of a live event. When all of that energy comes together in one room and people are just alive and ready, you don't, you don't feel that with the virtual events you're you're meeting people where they are and sometimes they're not ready or they're feeling stressed in their own little you know room in their own little bubble and it was tough it was mm -hmm. it was it was tough and it didn't have the same value that a live event has in so much as what we were able to make doing virtual events as well as the perception of them from those who were attending, you know, it just, the value is not the same. And so it, it was tough. I'm, I'm glad we're not stuck there. I hope that we don't have to ever be stuck there, but you know, you never know. You never know what's coming our way. Right. It's a great tool, but it shouldn't define the industry anymore the way it did. Agreed. Yes, Agreed. I agree. hundred percent. So lead times, lead times, we've seen them shrink tremendously in the last couple of decades. Are your lead times continually shrinking and are they at a point where they're still manageable, but, you know, keep shrinking and we're, we're in the, we're in the tomb. How do you feel about lead times? They, the nature of most of my work, my lead time has never been very great, <laughs> to be honest, because, um, one example, Bryant Park's very first market that they put up, I got a call to design the village, 80 booths, the whole thing. How's this going to look? And I'm thinking, great, I got a year. He wants to open in Thanksgiving. I got a year. He's like, no, 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 this Thanksgiving. I was like, that's in four weeks. Oh. He's like, yes. Friend of mine does makeup on movie sets. And his other guy doing makeup said he worked with a producer who could do anything in four weeks and gave us your name. I was like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> I 
I was like, do you have a 18 wheeler filled with cash out back? Because that's what it's going to take. Um, <laughs> so I typically get a lot of those phone calls, the people that have been thinking about stuff and they're not sure. Um, so I, I'd say 70% of my events ha have had a short, relatively lead time. The clients that are more regular, so like the annual award shows and galas and things that are always on the calendar, the lead times for starting on that have been shorting drastically, mm -hmm. drastically. And you just get it done. I think I've only turned down one thing because it was... It, it it was not possible. Like, Just I, not feasible. I, I told, I was like, I, I don't care how much money you throw at this. There's not enough time because the industry has changed. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but the lead time is shrinking, but the response time from vendors and, and the approval times from clients and the availability that's broadened. Yes. So, yes. you know, instead of having four weeks to do something, you're looking at, I really kind of only have 10 days when I get rid of all the muckety muck that's right. going to delay me in one way or the other. So, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you also do something called space, public space strategy. You call yourself a public space strategist. What exactly does a public space strategist do? So placemaking is the sort of on trend for that. Um, it's been around for 50, 60 years, more than that. Um, it's a form of urban planning. And so where that crosses, what I do for living in events, is working with developers or city agencies or riverfront groups, whatever it is in the public realm we go in and we look at how that space is being used. So if, for example, in Memphis, they were redoing the riverfront down at the end of Beale Street. So we worked on that project for about a year. We work in master plan. So most of these things are not built yet. So I learned to do everything in plan and elevations. And we help to sort of uh, consider the types of generic uses of events that will be used so that as they are designing and the landscape, the architecture, the infrastructure, they can put in things to house future event needs um, or do things like don't build a permanent amphitheater because those mm. rarely are a good idea long term. So we just consult on on all of that, which then and also goes into another phase after site analysis where we will develop what does an annual program plan look like? So, for example, like the yards in D.C., that project was five years long. We popped in and popped out off and on for five years, depending upon where they were in development and provided different structural things. So how do you manage a public space? What does that entity look like that's going to run your rental venues? <clears throat> what does the programming look like? So it, it can be a very small plaza or it can be an entire like, you know, center city area. And and is, is it as, as, as specific as... Uh, ensuring there's electric in places, ensuring there's egress in places, ensuring there is uh, uh, rooms somewhere where that could, you know, double as green rooms or kitchens or that kind of public space planning. Is that is that what it is? 
It, it can include that. Um, when you're talking about, say, a waterfront or a park, the things that are uh, surprising, um, they never want to spend money on are public restrooms. <laughs> right? How great would that be? Right. Um, trash cans. What do they look like? So it's not all sexy. Bike racks. Mm -hmm. Curb Infrastructure. Cut. Okay. It's infrastructure. But give an example. Uh, local venue here redid the Rady Shell. Yes. They're about 15 feet off from the loading dock that they put in uh, for a large truck to come in. Mm -hmm. And so now the loading can't go straight to the stage the way originally designed. It's got to go around. It's got all this other stuff. So right. the gentleman who helped open that gym was one of the operations guy that opened it, took me through. And someone just didn't sit down and think about it in terms of who's showing up. What do the trucks look like? What's their turn radius? So all of that stuff we think about, because guess what? I'm the mm -hmm. one showing up with the truck. Right. So right. we help with venues and public space. And if someone's like, how big should the curb cut be? They're like, well, this is ADA. And I go, yeah, but I can't get a gator flatbed up it. And you want me to load in an event and concert on your lawn. Why don't you give me an extra three inches? Then I don't have to plank all this. So mm -hmm. stuff like that in a very unsexy way. And then the cool stuff, which is, you know, here's the types of events for your demographics and your target market. And here's how you build them and about what we think they'll cost and blah, blah, blah. It's interesting that you mentioned the Rady Shell here in San Diego because we... We helped a planner with an event, a mm -hmm. wedding at the Shell uh, that occurred last October. And it was a few days of load-in simply. One of the reasons was the trucking. Yeah. And the fact that <laughs> load-in was going to take a lot longer than it should because of the turnaround and the inability to get more than one truck back there at a time. One has to come out before the other. It was really, it takes time and when you add that time to a rental contract it means extra money right I, I don't need this now for a day i need to rent it for two days or three days because simply because i need to get everything in the venue uh, so this is really important work that you're doing that benefits all of us that are on the planning end mm -hmm. and i was brought into it by people uh, uh there's there's there are, I mean, it's a huge industry. So I'm not an anomaly in this. There's tremendous industry um, pioneered and led by people who've been doing it for, I guess, Fred Kent, almost 75 years celebrating it. Um, it just has made, and now it's trendy. Now, every time you talk to someone, they're in placemaking um, and they all have different definitions of what that is. But it is important, the infrastructure part, because 15, 15 feet, is costing how much in union and i mm -hmm. love the rady shell love 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 absolutely love so gorgeous no, absolutely gorgeous everything that was done but it's just an example of what continues to to come up about what is that cost down the road mm -hmm. and that's costing you the producer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well there are a lot of uh hotel brands that could use your help too when they're building <laughs> yeah. their ballrooms and yes. their elevators <laughs> right they need to be taller. You can't get trust in an elevator or you can't, you know, it's all of that. So whenever we have an opportunity to be a part of a project like that, I haven't done anything like that in a while, but um, we love it. I'm, I'm working with the venue now in Logan Heights, the soap factory, 
absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to get you guys down there. I think you should host some events there. Um, just love what these guys are doing there. Just you love. You told me about them the last time that we met, the first time that we met, uh, at, because I think you were about to go to the soap factory for a small event. W am, I, yes. am I correct? Yes. And I was there for their sort of opening of their jazz room. So it's a combination right. of outdoor pavilion, uh, open festival area, little jazz room, private dining room. It's really cool space. Uh, but aside from that, it's just the people that, that, are own, that own it and their mission for economic growth and arts and culture um, in that area. They're just, they're good people too, but it's really cool. We can get you down there to see it. It's different. You know, it's, it's not your same old, same old. Well, that's beautiful thing for us in San Diego, uh, you know, being a convention town and the fact that Logan Heights is so close to downtown San Diego, where most of the meetings mm -hmm. and conferences take place. It's a great option for an offsite venue that isn't too far from downtown. And we struggle here in this city for those kinds of options, uh, unique, different, uh, but not 40 minutes outside of downtown, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a coach ride that's manageable. And uh, it's got capacity, a couple of thousand people. Oh, that even makes it better. Yeah. There's so that's few awesome. venues here that have that kind of capacity. Or if you only have a hundred, we had a hundred last night, you're in the other space, a hundred, and you don't even know that the other stuff's there. That's tremendous. We, we look forward to learning about that space and seeing it. Park and Market is another space I'm not sure that you know about that is new. Oh, I do. I worked in it. That's where my office was when I was with WDC for about 10 months. No kidding. Yep. I was there. No kidding. Our friend Dustin menu. Hullum is the, oh, I believe he's the production manager. You know yes, Dustin. Yes, he is. Yeah. I love Dustin. Yes. He is a tremendous production manager. Has theater yes, background. That whole team yeah. there is amazing. Mm -hmm. Very, very big fan. Yes, we've been invited to go see, and we haven't had a chance to do it yet. So it's still on our list to go and see Park and Market. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so we're unfortunately at the end of our interview, but we'd like to do one more set of questions, something we call our Bolotified Five. <gasps> the Bolotified Five. Are you game? Okay. I'll keep it concise. Uh, I'm ready. All right. No worries. I don't know that you've seen these questions in advance. So, uh, you know, you might have to take a moment or two to think about your answer. That's if it's the quite same, all right. Okay. Your first question is, what is your golden rule? Uh, professionally and personally, um, think, think of your audience first for if you're thinking if you're designing an event just remember you might think it's cool but you're not the one you're trying to entertain bingo love that answer thank you so much number two what is one daily habit you have that you strongly believe contributes to your success uh to the best that i can grounding prayer or meditation in the morning even if it's five minutes good for you when no one is listening what does brooksy tell herself I'm a Gemini, so there's a lot. I have a lot. <laughs> you know, I tell myself, like, I just, like, I can't believe I'm still doing this in a good way. Like. Good for you. It's awesome. 
The opportunities continue to come. They're raining on down upon you. Uh, number four, what is the one change you'd like to see in the world? Oh, gosh. Um, better compassion and tolerance for others and their differences. Thank you for that. And number five, why, Brooksy? What is your why? What motivates you to do what it is you're doing? Um, <laughs> I love just being around the energy around the events and the people. I'm more motivated by spending time with the team and the crew than I am by the money. And my accountant will agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and tell so, you to get with the program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get scolded every year about now. <laughs> it's about to happen again. No, so it's Brooke the people. It's it's the experience. My experience is in producing the event. It's almost once the event happens is up and running. I'm like, well, I'm bored now. Right, right. You like almost want to go home at that point, right? Because unless well, something do, hits I'm the tired. fan, yeah, you're tired <laughs> and 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 feeling a little unneeded. No, I've it's been the there. camaraderie. Yeah. It's the it's the talents. It's the it's the people that that is literally why I want to work. And why the virtual does not work for me. It did not feed the very core of why I started mm. doing this to begin with. So last question for you, which is not one of our Belotified Five, but one specifically for you, Brooksy, and that is your name. Is uh, Brooksy your real name or is that a no. name that you've adopted? No, it's my name. Um, it was I was christened Brooksy. So it's Ann Brooks Hughes. Uh, it was going to be Ann Brooksy Hughes, but... My Brooksy was my grandmother's nickname. She, her name was Ann Brooks. She was a student at University of Georgia. Her father was the dean of uh, business school, communication school at Georgia. Wow. And she was there. And um, also the first one of the first Rhodes Scholars he was. Um, wow. And so her sorority nicknamed her Brooksy. So my mom grew up knowing her as Brooksy. Her last name was Brooks. She was known as Brooksy. And then I've been called that since before the womb. It's the only name. It's legal. Wow. Name. So I love it. You come from an educated family. Any any connection to Howard? No. Damn it. <laughs> and it's and it's the other side, my mom's side, you know, and uh professor, you know, dean of engineering at Georgia Tech was the other grandfather. So like that side, my mom's side has all the academia. And then it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it got started yeah. somewhere. And then everybody else is like engineers and sound people and, you know, works in the music industry or whatever. Right. Which, you know. It's all good. Hey. Yeah, it's all good. You can't be good. a dummy and do that either. No. Nope. Yeah. That takes skill. Oh, no. Very smart. Just nobody very. chose to go into academia. Felt like it had run its course. <laughs> wow. Any last words? Anything that you'd like to share with us before we say goodbye and bid adieu? Um, first of all, just really, really great uh, to meet both of you on here. I know Anthony, we met before and thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Um, I have not done a podcast interview like this before, so I really enjoyed it. And thank you for including me 
and just hope that all your endeavors that you've got going on are going to be super great coming up. And then I want to get you to the soap factory. I want you guys to see that venue. Yes. Because I really want to promote them with some stuff coming up. And absolutely. You guys will really like it. We are in and we appreciate you coming on the show. And of so course, much. anyone that needs a producer. So Brooksy I'm, Hughes. Brooksy Hughes. Thank you so much, Brooksy, for joining us, for sharing your professionalism with us and uh, for just being who you are and for upholding a standard that we should mm-hmm. all be upholding uh, in this business. Thank you for doing it right, doing it well. And uh, we look forward to seeing the soap factory and to engaging more with you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to Bolotified. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe. And remember to leave us your questions or comments at bolotta.com backslash podcast. Bolotified is a production of Bolotta Entertainment. Hey, that's a lot of Bolotta. Stay engaging.